turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We're concluding our series in, the Paul's, in Paul's letter to uh, the church at Ephesus. And we have been learning over the last number of months now, really, that Paul has been, as he's been walking us right through the six chapters of Ephesians, we have been learning that we have a new identity in Christ. We are chosen, we're adopted, we're redeemed, we're in on God's secret. We not only have a new identity, but we have a new hope, he tells us in, in chapter 1. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which you, he has called you. So we have a new identity, a new hope. We have new life, he says in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, but God has made you alive in Christ. So you have a new identity, a new hope, a new life, a new community. He goes on to say in chapter 2, he says, You Jews and Gentiles, you've been at each other's throats, and, and you haven't liked each other, but now that you're both followers of Jesus, now you're part of the same body, part of the same church, part of the same temple, part of the same family. And now there should be no more racism, no more prejudice, no more hostility, because you're all one in Christ. And my goodness, what a message for us still today, right? And so we need to realize we have a new community, new life, new hope, new identity. He goes on to say in, in Ephesians 3, we have new power. That, that beautiful prayer at the end of chapter 3, I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. New power is available to you and me. In chapter 4, he talks about the new us, the unity and diversity that we have in Christ, new standards that we have. He says in, in chapter 4, verse 17, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, because we have new standards now in Christ. In chapter 5, he talks about a new love that we have, new relationships that we have. And then in Ephesians 6, as he comes to the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 10, and he, and he starts to wrap this all up, he makes it very clear that you and I are also in a new fight. A new fight. Say that with me. A new fight. It's sobering. And, and yet it's encouraging that Paul concludes his letter basically by saying, now let's be very clear. Yes, Christ has come to give you a new identity, a new hope, a new life, new love, new community, new relationships. But this isn't going to come easy because you also need to know you are in a new fight. Like it or not, you're in a fight. You have an enemy that wants to bring you down. You have an enemy that hates you. He hates your new life in Christ. He hates the new hope that you have. He hates this new life, this new community, this new identity that you have. And he will attack you in all kinds of ways. Like it or not, you are in a fight. Let's see how the Apostle Paul describes this fight in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. He says, Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. 
Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Do you hear what Paul is saying here? You're in a fight. Like it or not, you have an enemy. And you are in a fight. You're, you're like a soldier. And there's this war going on. Do you understand life is not a playground? It's a battleground. You and I, we live in a culture that, that kind of entices us to believe that life is meant to be a playground. And that's your whole goal in life is to just play and make things as easy as you possibly. Scripture is clear. You're, you're in a battle. You're in a battle. You're a soldier. This is a battleground. Paul is saying three things here I want, to, want you to get a hold of today. Here they are. You have, an, you have an enemy. God has given you armor. You have to put it on. You have an enemy. God has given you armor to protect you from this enemy. You have to put it on. Let's talk about these three things. And my goal for us this morning is that as you realize more and more that you have an enemy, but God has given you armor, that you will, in fact, put on the armor of God. This is the key question for you and I today. Have we put on the armor of God? Put it on. Put on the armor. So, first of all, number one, do you understand that you have an enemy? And notice, this enemy is a real enemy. Paul says, I want you to take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and rulers, spiritual forces of evil. You say, Greg, you don't really believe in a devil, do you? In a Satan? Yes, I do. Scripture is very clear on this. I know many people today want to make it metaphorical or psychological or, or whatever, but, but I, I believe it's real. Satan is real. The forces of, 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 of evil are, are real. They're there. There's a host of spiritual realities in this universe way beyond just us flesh and blood human beings. You read the Gospels and you see Jesus casting out demons. Remember when the, when the angel appeared to Mary? His name was Gabriel. And he announces to, to Mary that she would become pregnant with Jesus, the Son of God. You read on, and Jesus is an adult, and in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4, it says that Jesus was led out into the wilderness by the devil, or by the Holy Spirit, actually, to be tempted by the devil. And that's a whole concept right there. Led by the Spirit out in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So sometimes the Holy Spirit will allow this kind of temptation, this testing to come into your life. And, and you remember how Jesus countered the temptations of the evil one with, with the Word of God. Jesus told Peter that Satan had asked to sift him like wheat. Paul says here that there are all kinds of powers and authorities and dark spiritual forces at work. So I encourage you to read a book by C.S. Lewis. Hopefully you're familiar with C.S. Lewis. One of the most brilliant 
apologists uh, of a prior generation. And, and, and he's just written some classic books. And, and this one that I, I'm encouraging you to read is called The Screwtape Letters. The Screwtape Letters. It's a fiction. And, and, and C.S. Lewis, he, he, he develops this conversation between two demons and, and how they go about tempting people. And, and it's entertaining, but it's so insightful into how Satan works in our lives. And just a, a quote from C.S. Lewis in, in the Screwtape Letters. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. That's good. I encourage you to read C.S. Lewis' book, The Screwtape Letters. So make no mistake, there, there, there is a devil, there are spiritual forces of evil, and what I want you to see here is that the devil has two primary ways of attacking you and me. He deceives and he tempts. He deceives and he tempts. Remember how the devil deceived and distorted the truth with Adam and Eve in the garden? Remember, he came up to Eve and he said, did God really say you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden? And she says, oh, no, 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 no. We can eat from all the trees in the garden except this one. You see how he starts to set God in a bad light. The, the serpent says, really? I mean, you can't eat from any? No, you can eat from all of them. There might have been thousands of them there, just not this one. And then, and then he says, oh, if you eat of that, you won't die. Surely you won't die because God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll become like God. You'll be God-like. So he, then he actually lies. See, this is what Satan does to you and me. He plants doubts in your mind. He gets you to doubt whether God is really good, whether God really knows what he's talking about, and that he has your best interest in mind at all. He deceives you into thinking that you will be better off if you do things your way rather than God's way. He deceives you. And he tempts you. Remember when God allowed Satan to tempt Job? Satan attacked Job and his family. His kids were killed in tragic accidents. His wealth was stolen or destroyed. Even Job's wife finally reached the point where she just told her husband Job to curse God and die. That's what Satan tempts you and I to do. He wants to get us to that point where, where we are so discouraged, so frustrated, so upset, so bewildered that we just want to curse God and die. That's his strategy. So if you're a Christian, like it or not, you are in a fight. You have an enemy. So... You wonder why life is not as easy as you thought it would be? You wonder why your marriage is harder than you thought? You wonder why you don't have your act together by now the way you thought you should have your act together by now? This is why. Life, it's not a playground. It's a battleground. You are in a fight. You have an enemy, and deception and temptation are his two biggest weapons. Now, the good news is God has given you armor. You're not defenseless against this enemy. Well, when the enemy attacks your identity in Christ, when he attacks your hope, 
when he attacks your community, when he attacks your, your, your life and your love and your relationships, when he starts tempting you and deceiving you, God has given you armor to, to protect you against all this. So you are not defenseless. God has given you six powerful defenses. And Paul uses this imagery of you being a soldier. And you need to put on the armor of God. I was tempted to bring somebody up here dressed in, in all these armor, put it up on the screen, but I got lazy and I didn't. So here we are. We're just going to talk through it. So, so notice the, the pieces of the armor. And imagine, imagine a soldier with the belt of truth. That what does the belt do? It kind of keeps your pants up, right? And, and, and it holds everything together. For a soldier, it, it, it kind of links several of the pieces together. And this belt of truth. The primary thing about the Christian message is that it's true. It's true. If it's not true, it's just meaningless. One of the things I love about going to Israel is how every time I go, four times now, and it, it, it confirms the truthfulness of the Christian message. Because you're going to place after place after place. And you read the Bible and you go, oh, that's here. Oh, that's there. Oh, this is here. And, and, oh, they didn't know this until recently, but they discovered this. And, oh, oh, wow, now it confirms the Bible yet again. And it's unbelievable. You see, don't let the devil deceive you. He, he will throw his doubts into, into, your, into your mind about the truthfulness of, of the gospel. It, never give up on the sheer truth of the gospel. It's the belt that holds everything together. And in place. So put on that belt of truth. Wrap it around you. Immerse your life in it. And then he goes on to mention the, the breastplate of righteousness. So you have the belt of truth. You have the breastplate of righteousness. See, if you have put your hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you believe that He died on the cross for your sins, and He rose again to conquer sin and death, and you've asked Him for forgiveness, and you've invited Him into your life. Now His righteousness, His perfect life, His atoning death, His righteousness is now given to you. And you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. And now you stand before God righteous in His sight because of Jesus Christ. You put on that breastplate of righteousness. So when Satan hurls his flaming arrows at you of doubt and deception, and, and he, when, he, when he starts saying, you're not good enough, and look at all the things you've done, and you're not really a Christian, and all these things, you, you, you come to Christ and you put on his righteousness and say, of course I'm not good enough. Of course it's not my righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. You put on that breastplate of righteousness. So you have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. You also have the shoes of peace. The enemy will do all he can to knock you off your feet. He will deceive you. He will accuse you. He will tempt you. He will try to fill you with fear and anxiety. Notice four times Paul says, stand. Stand against the devil's schemes. Stand your ground. Stand firm. And now, the only way for you to stand firm is to have on good shoes. You need, you need to have the shoes of peace underneath you to keep you balanced and on your feet. So you have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace. And then fourthly, you have the shield of faith. Faith is not blind or irrational. 
You know, there are people who, who try, try to make fun of our faith, and they say, oh, you don't have any evidence for that. It's just blind, and it's irrational. No, no, there are plenty of good reasons to believe. When Jesus and the apostles talk about faith, they're, they're not talking about blind, irrational faith. They're talking about trust. They're talking about loyalty. Sometimes in the fight, when Satan is hurling his flaming arrows at you, maybe it's the arrows of sickness. Maybe it's the arrows of death. Maybe it's the arrows of, of tragedy or, or disappointment. What do you do? You hold up that shield of faith and you block those flaming arrows that are being hurled at you. And you say, I may not be able to explain exactly what's going on right now, and I don't understand why this is happening, but, but these flaming arrows are keep coming at me, but, but by faith, I'm going to stand against it. Lord, I'm going to keep trusting in you, and, and I'm going to remain loyal to you, Lord Jesus. That's the shield of faith. And then fifthly, you have the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is, is the is the assurance of your salvation. When you get your mind right and you know who you are in Christ and you know what the gospel is and you say, I know I'm an adopted. I know I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God. I know I'm redeemed. I know I'm safe and saved in Christ because of what He has done for me. That's your helmet of salvation. Then you also have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the only weapon, did you notice, that, that is offensive as well as defensive. The other pieces of armor are primarily defensive, aren't they? But the sword of the Spirit is, is offensive. You can take more ground. You can advance in your battle. You can win your battles with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So I ask you, are you into the Word of God? It's the only offensive weapon God has given you. Are you constantly growing in your understanding of the gospel? The Holy Spirit takes the Holy Scriptures and makes you a holy person. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the Holy Scriptures and He makes you a holy person. So the Word of God, it's the sword of the Spirit. And He cuts away. He can, he can cut away that sin that's in your life. He can bring healing and health and wholeness to you. And, and He can push back Satan and his schemes so that you can stand firm and be strong in the Lord. So the question today is, have you put on the armor? Have you put it on? See, you've got to put it on. Some of you are, are beat up and you're bruised and you're getting all battered and pushed around. It's because you haven't put on the armor of God. You don't realize you have an enemy. Like it or not, you're in a fight. There's the armor of God, but you have to put it on. You say, Greg, how do I put on the armor of God? Two ways that Paul highlights here. You develop your character and you learn to pray. This is how you put on the armor of God. You develop your character and you learn to pray. Scholars debate, actually, whether the armor of God is objective or subjective. And I think it's both. I think it's both. The belt of truth, for example, is not only the objective truth of Christ, which is there whether anybody believes in it or not. It's the objective truth of Christ. But you need to put that belt on and make it subjective to you, where, where you become 
a truthful person. Where you take the truth of Christ into your own character, into your own life, into your own conscience, and you become a truthful person. You tell the truth. And when the Holy Spirit and when your conscience tells you that you are lying, you stop that lie and you tell the truth. And you become a person of integrity. And you can go, you can go right through with the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of peace. You put on the, the breastplate of righteousness is objectively the, the, the righteousness of Christ, but you make it subjectively your righteousness where, where Christ and the Holy Spirit are inside of you and transforming you, and you become a righteous person. And you do right. And the peace, you're standing in the peace of God that passes all understanding. And as you make all of this your part of your character, part of your personhood, it, it makes you stronger so that you can stand against all the schemes of the evil one. So you take the armor of God and, and you put it into your life and press it into your character. This is the way you stand strong. There's another classic book I encourage you to read. It's called Pilgrim's Progress. You've all heard of that, right? Maybe we've all, there's some books that we've all heard of and nobody's ever read. You know, It's kind of like Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. I encourage you to read it. It's a great classic. There's a place where Pilgrim, uh, who's now a Christian, but the, the whole story is a, uh, is a, a fiction. It's a made-up story about this, this guy named Pilgrim who, who becomes uh, a Christian. And it's all about his journey towards the celestial city, towards heaven, and about all of the, 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 the tests and temptations that he has along the way. And at one point in his journey towards the celestial city, Christian is his name now because he's come to Christ, and, and he looks down this, this road and he sees lions on either side of the road. And he's supposed to walk down this road because it's the only way to get to the celestial city. And, and, and he says, no way. I'm not going down this road. And then some, someone tells him that, that if, uh, if he just stays in the center of the road, see what happens. Just stay in the center of the road. So he gets his courage up and, and he's walking down the road and, and, he's, and he's, man, he is staying right in the center. He's not deviating at all to the left or to the right. He's staying right in the center. And sure enough, these lions come out to attack him. But what Christian didn't realize is that these lions are on chains. And they can only go so far. And they, they are clawing at him and roaring loudly at him. And as long as he stays in the center and not deviates to the left or to the right, and they're just like inches away from his face and from his body, but he is safe and sound and he makes it all the way down that road. Now, what was John Bunyan trying to, to get across here? He was simply saying, if you belong to Jesus Christ, Satan has no power over you. Satan can roar, he can claw, but he can't touch you as long as you follow him. And as long as you are obedient to him and you stay in the center of the road and you don't deviate to the left or to the right. Because the moment you start to deviate to the left or to the right, now you're moving into Satan's territory and the lion can, can claw you and scratch you now because you're giving him power. You're moving into his territory. 
think of this. How, how do we give the devil power? Remember back in Ephesians 4.27, when, when Paul says, I want you to speak truthfully with each other. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't steal. Don't give the devil a foothold. Think about that. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold. What does that mean? Well, when you lie, when you don't tell the truth, when you, when you refuse to forgive, when you hold on to anger, you're giving the devil a foothold. You, you're, you're stepping off to the right or to the left, and you're deviating into his territory, and now you might get a claw in your shoulder. So put on the armor of God by developing your character. You wrap the belt of truth around you. Put on the breastplate of righteousness so that this becomes part of your character. Otherwise, watch out for the lions. And then Paul does something fascinating. He talks about prayer. Look at verses 18, 19, and 20 again. He says, he's been talking about the armor of God, talking about these six pieces of armor, and then he flows right into, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Prayer. Prayer is a part of our spiritual warfare. Paul is saying you can put on the armor of God, but if you don't have prayer going on, so prayer is not really another piece of armor. Prayer is like the communication and the context of the whole thing. Imagine you're a soldier in an army and, and, and you're out there on the battlefield and you, you have the armor of God on you. You're all dressed for battle. But you have no communication with the commander. You don't know exactly what direction the enemy is. You don't know whether you were going forward or left or right or retreating or what are we doing at this point in time. You, you can be all dressed up and look like a great soldier, but if you're not communicating with the commander, it's not going to go well for you. So Paul says you've got to learn how to pray. Because prayer is your communication with your commander. And this way you know where to go. You know what to do. And it's your daily dependency and conversation with your commander that keeps you strong in the Lord. Some of you look so good. Some of you. You look so good. You're all dressed up in your armor of God. But... You're not communicating with your commander. And you've got your sword and you're ready to fight, but you realize that the battle is on your knees. Your battle is on your knees because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. This is spiritual warfare. You've got to learn how to pray. I encourage you to join us tonight at 5 o'clock. In the refuge, other side of the building, where our prayer warrior team will be leading us this afternoon. It's a time of guided prayer. Don't worry, you won't be called out. You won't have to pray out loud if you don't want to. But you can come and you can learn how to pray. 
This is vital in our spiritual warfare. You've got to be in communication with your commander. Because like it or not, you're in a fight. You have an enemy. He is clawing at you all the time. Isn't it time? Isn't it time you learned how to pray? 